Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's episode. I'm H.A. Conrad, here as always with my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Hello from post-COVID land, where it sounds like I still have COVID. Hmm. Our special guest star uh, is not joining us today because he's uh, rallying the troops uh, over in the Pacific Northwest, um, meaning his children. We're thinking uh, of you, Kyle. We're thinking of you. We miss you. Um, but, he's, but he's also trying to hold it down with two little kids, cl- probably climbing all over him as we speak. Yep. You got this, Kyle. You got this. You got this. Uh, so we'll miss we'll miss Kyle today, but uh, we're gonna to continue on in our review, and hopefully he'll be back with us next week. Um, in you know, I hope good shape. Maybe he'll just be broken down and sad. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, exhausted, maybe. I feel that way today. So we're we're both on the same energy level. You know, big energy. Um, but anyway, today we are talking about the next couple of episodes of All of Us Are Dead. Um, but before that, we do have a couple of little news items, um, a few more announcements about casting for uh, Tales of the, the Walking Dead, um, some some names that are very familiar. So they really feel like they're really trying to uh, to kind of stack the odds that this will be successful. I don't know. Uh, but Olivia Munn is one of the people that they announced. That's um, their headlining with Olivia Munn in the articles that I've seen, which is yeah, well, that's that probably makes sense. That's legit. She was an X-Man ex-woman Psylocke uh she you know if you don't know who Olivia Munn is um well I feel bad for you she's just uh she's one of these like omnipresent uh people she's a decent actor uh I think she came to she she was really better known for just being like a hot anchor on video game news when I first got to know who she was I feel like she got her uh Everybody knew about her because of that hot dog eating contest thing that she did. So that's kind of like, you know, um, but, you know, we're 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 putting, you know, they're, they're putting a lot on her. But then there's lots of other people. I was um, kind of excited to see M. Beth Davids in this. Um, yeah, so, you know, who she is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's fantastic. And, and um, tell tell the good gentle listeners who, who she is, because I didn't really I mean, know. She's in Army of Darkness, which I didn't really see her as much in, but she was in Mad Men and um, and Schindler's List. And um, if anybody liked this movie, which I kind of did, was Matilda. Um, so she was in that. Um, so and you know what? I think the thing is, is that she's one of those actors that is a little bit like omnipresent, but not necessarily like she's had a like really good and solid roles, but not always like the leading role. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's, you know, did you not recognize her at all? I, I guess I kind of recognize her face and I've certainly seen a lot of the movies that she's been in, like girl with the dragon tattoo, Spider-Man. Yeah. And like, she'll do, I mean, she does these like kind of little moment, like, I don't know, like momentary little roles. Um, she was in, um, Bridget Jones's diary as sort of like the femme fatale that Hugh Grant is with. Um, that, you know, gets, gets like, is all like snotty and stuff like that. So, but she's pretty versatile because she can also play the very like nice person. <laughs> so like, so in Matilda, she was the, uh, um, the very sweet teacher that basically ultimately adopts the the lead character. So I mean, in Army know. of Darkness, she basically went from the love interest to a villain, right? Yep. Yep. So, so clearly she's got range. I mean, that was a long time ago, but, but other, other people on this list include, uh, so Danny Ramirez is another one in this list and he's just kind of like thrown in there and he did have a fairly insignificant, but speaking role in Falcon and the winter soldier. He was like mm-hmm. um, the Falcons army buddy who would give him new equipment, which was never a relationship that was completely explained. Cause it also seemed like, um, Anthony Mackie's character was not being paid, but he was being given millions of dollars worth of (laughs) high tech wing equipment. Hmm. Uh, And then he was he had a a more of like an ensemble role in The Gifted, which I don't know that you ever watched, but I think we have talked about it on this podcast before, which was a uh, mutants with superpowers sort of spinoff TV show. I don't The Gifted was an interesting show, had a lot of of like cool talent. Um, And so Danny Ramirez coming to Walking Dead Universe as well as, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's French name. It looks like Lone in English, but I'm assuming it's like Loan. Probably Chab- Loan. Chabagnol in, uh, is a French model. It doesn't have a lot of credits. But what makes me very interested in this, H.A., I think you can leap to this conclusion with me. There's a French person 
going to be on Walking Dead in yeah. an anthology bottle episode. Oh yeah, what, I'm thinking. What? I'm thinking the same thing. So yeah. let's let's see what happens. And then uh, the last but not certainly not least um, is Jesse Usher, who um, I thought was honestly incredible in The Boys as A Train. Yeah. Um, so he's really good and awesome. And I'm kind of psyched to see him in this. And I was, you know, watching, watching him in the boys, I was like, Oh, where I know he's been in a lot, although I haven't seen like all the, th- like a ton of the stuff that he's in, but I actually, while watching the boys, I was like, Oh, he seems like he should be in walking dead. Oh, really? uh, yeah. I don't know what it was. I just felt like he had like good survivor energy. I don't know. <laughs> He's so, definitely got great gray area energy, especially in the boys. That character yeah, is I written think, like you feel sorry for him, but he's a terrible person. Oh, yeah. But that's kind of why I thought, oh, he would do well. <laughs> he would do well in this. Um, so I don't know. So I was kind of, I was like, ah, maybe I made it so with all of my positive energy towards uh, Jesse Usher. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited to see him in this. I'm um, glad you manifested this role for him. I did. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but anyway, so that's um, two pretty big. I mean, they're like five people in each list, but these two lists that have dropped for the show are significant and packed. Yeah. With, uh, I mean, there's going to be only I forget how many episodes is it six or eight. Um, and now we've got at least 10 big names going to be slammed in there. I think this is going to be I'm getting un- unreasonably hyped for uh, the Tales of the Walking Dead. I probably need to bring it, but bring it down a couple notches. Yeah, I know. We don't want to be disappointed. We got really excited about other things too, and that just didn't work out so well. So yeah. we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, so, um, do you want to talk about the zombie maths? <laughs> so uh, everybody's favorite science website, IFL Science or I fucking love science.com has an article from this week um, that has a nice little YouTube video in it with a like a pop culture mathematician talking about. Uh, how to survive a zombie apocalypse through maths because he's English. Uh, and so we'll have that <laughs> video in the show notes and you should watch it. It's, it's fascinating, but it is very mathy. It is quite mathy um, um, but fun yeah. and very British, but they talk about like, you know, the advantages of whether you're running away or trying to slow the zombies down, et cetera, et cetera. And just trying to solve the zombie apocalypse through equations and what's not to love about that. So have a have a gander at that in the show notes when you can. Definitely. Um, and then sadder news or like disappointing news, because I was really looking forward to this. Um, it looks like uh, The Last of Us, the television show, the premiere date has now been delayed. So that was supposed to come out actually pretty soon from what I understood in this in this calendar year. And uh, the, they basically announced that that is not going to happen. Um, so no, no specific date set, but definitely not in 2022. So, um, and this comes from an interview with the HBO chief content officer, whose name is Casey Bloys, not from anybody directly working on the show, but I guess they, Mm -hmm. this Casey dude person would not say this without knowing for sure. Yeah. I don't think you would share that otherwise you you have yeah I, I don't think you would share this if it wasn't true so in any case we'll have to keep keep an eye on that and see what happens and hey look i think that there this is definitely a pretty huge production maybe there was like like production delays with filming there's still been a lot of like weird covid things that happened because of omicron and stuff like that so maybe it had to do with that yeah um but anyway, Honestly, that's been nonstop amazing to me that I've been watching shows that have been completely made during COVID, yep. like yep. The Witcher season two and, and other other series that have managed to get made. And I think we do take it a little bit for granted that these people, especially in the backdrop of all that uh, IATSE, uh, you know, like workplace safety stuff that, that there's been such a big issue the last 12 months or so. So I think we do need to kind of cool our jets and uh, and let people make this stuff in the, at the obviously we are we, not like we can do anything about it but we can also just get too much too uh, wound up or, or or disappointed when when shows move to the right it's just it's going to be a better show Pedro Pascal will still be there yep and I I mean look I think that also when when I think that it's better to delay it and then take the time that you need so that it's the better better production or best sort of version of whatever it is versus, you know, trying to put something out that isn't quite uh, as polished as you might want. Um, 
So uh, disappointing for us, but I think ultimately it'll be great when it comes out. So, um, so oh, anyway, one other, one other small point on this, uh, in this article from the verge is they mentioned Craig Mazin or Mazin, who mm-hmm. is a writer and executive producer for uh, this show. And, uh, thanks to listening to, uh, like the official podcast for myth mythic quest, I learned that this dude who has a role like on camera role in mythic quest. He's like one yes, of the other quali- QA testers. Yeah. He was a, a writer like, on that show. Yeah. He he's amazing. A, and he would like moonlight on mythic quest when he wasn't writing Chernobyl, which he's, right. always, he's, he's like, like that's his biggest uh, credit probably. But this dude is a triple threat, I guess. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, and, and you know, he's a really unlikable character on Mythic Quest, but just he's horrible, uh, underscores but how talented this guy is, Craig. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I love all the stuff that he's putting out there. So so thank you, Craig. And we'll we'll wait to see what what comes <laughs> of all of this. Yeah. Um, so um, are you ready to dive into episode six and seven? Somewhat anyway. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if it's like just where I am in watching these show this show or these episodes. I feel like less happened in these two maybe or am i uh, I, I don't know if that's just like the where um, i've evolved these, for me these two felt like they dragged quite a bit and there was a lot more sort of like melodrama in the sort of soap opera of the teenage relationships um and i didn't feel like they were as um i don't know like not like I just I, I was kind of like not bored, but like I was just like, OK, we've already kind of dealt with this already. And it's a little bit of what we were saying at the beginning. Like, how are you going to fill the, this many episodes without sort of doing the repetition? And, yeah. and they're kind of doing that. And I mean, you know, I and then a couple of things became pretty clear in these, which I you know, we had some predictions. Um, so um, sadly, Chansen's mom did not come to save the day as a super zombie. <laughs> I mean, think uh, all those hopes were crushed last time we talked about this. I know, but I was still I had did you a think little she was going like, to be a super zombie. I was hoping maybe a little bit that she'd somehow make this appearance. Um, and I kind of thought that that's where they were going because of a couple of things that happened in this episode. Um, but, but, but definitely very clearly she is not a super zombie. So um, anyway, um, I think uh, there were some definite frustrating moments for me in this that I don't really believe of some of these characters, given what they've learned at this point. Um, and this is one of the things that I dislike is that, you know, you kind of set up the rules for this world and then characters. And I guess, I mean, that's like, look, that's like kind of the thing is that they're teenagers and whatever, but um, I just don't believe some of the things that the characters do in this. Um, what are you talking it, about specifically? Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Namra and the the wonderful theater of the tying her to to bear Sue and things like that. And, um, you know, they've watched now many of their friends change. They know what happens when people get bitten. And in this case with her, um, they're just kind of changing how they're treating it. And granted, she is changing in a slightly different way. And Guinam was not your traditional zombie when he bit her. So I think they are a little bit in uncharted waters. A little bit, but clearly there's something weird about her. Yeah. And, you know, she's weird before she becomes a zombie, like her weird staring. Yeah, uh, she's she's just she's an odd cat. Um, So but but even so, they know what the sort of like the end result is. So and it's like, okay, you you locked that kid in the room when you didn't even know whether, you know, he had been bitten or not. And um, instead, you're going to like put her into this situation where she could easily hurt one or more of you. And the other yeah. part is that Bersu, um, in terms of like, oh, I'm going to put her next to me so she can't get to you. Well, dude, yeah. when you turn into a zombie, yeah. you're much more threatening than she is. And well, them to, then there would just be two of them. Yeah. Like, I don't yeah, like understand it doesn't why make sense to me. So I just, who is who he like says this line to Jimin is like the most vocal and, and vociferously like, she, you know, she's a zombie. She got zombie blood and zombies kill my parents, which is also a, like kind of a hilarious line. Uh, she even looks down when he says that to her, like, look, I've tied myself to, to Namra now. Now I can't. Now, if she turns, she'll just eat me. 
or bite me. And Jima doesn't have, doesn't fire back. Usually she is ready to go with her like right. logical so, fallacy stuff. And, and she doesn't say anything, which I thought was a little disappointing for her character. Yeah. But I mean that, so that was just like one thing that stood out to me as like, eh, I don't know about this. Um, and I do think, you know, I did like when they're jumping sort of from like, vignette to vignette in in terms of the groups that we have going on like we still have the little archery group and to me that was one of the best and funniest things when they're like going to the gymnasium to 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 like because there's like an emergency phone there and i thought that that was kind of cool their their tactics um but you know i just think they're they're kind of filling with stuff and well yeah i would say honestly that the gymnasium stuff for me was one of the less effective parts of this it felt like the the bathroom archery crew who i've you know who we've already pointed out are like the potential saviors of everybody on this show they were just stuck like treading water this time around because also uh jun what's his name the the bigger guy like manages to get stabbed by his own spear because it's like, whatever it was like kind of a, it was a mess, but then he there. And honestly, I thought this was an interesting theme in these two episodes is what do you do with the people who can't take care of themselves? And we're on like day two of the zombie apocalypse, maybe in walking dead, it would be a different, you know, outcome. But here we are, we are seeing characters continuously make the decision to save those people and to save them at their own risk. And I'm, I, I like the fact that that is that's the theme. It's like right. even if it doesn't always pay off, um, because obviously uh, the uh, Seoul University guy totally pulls a, uh, a a traitor move at the end of of um, episode seven um, and and drives off, but with two kids. Like hopefully he I can know. save those kids, I guess. But I but know. seeing seeing uh, the archery captain who is kind of like all business, and you you might other than her desire to find her brother, she could have easily been like, just leave the guy outside. We, you know, he's, yep. he's a liability. Um, and he isn't doing himself any favors with all the crying and complaining. Right. Um, but I don't know. I just, I guess I just liked it because they were actually kind of moving and, and making a plan in a way that at least despite his sort of like screw ups, at least their plan made a little bit more sense to me since they have like a goal to go and get the the emergency thing. Yeah, they um, just make zero progress, which to me was frustrating make... in two episodes. Right. And it's the same with like both groups. And then, you know, I, I kind of feel like they have really set up the whole idea that the, the zombies are very um, sensitive to noise um, and they have ways to do that. And, and the way that our sort of main group figure like decides to use that seems absolutely stupid to me. Oh, um, I mean, well, I don't we don't really know that the, the, you can use noise as a, as a weapon yet. I think we know that as the audience, because we've seen Guinam and Yunji reacting to when the, the micro, the microphone and the speaker squeal happens, we see them react with, with like a lot of pain so I think we know that it could be used as a weapon, but the kids use it in a way that is pretty smart. It doesn't all it doesn't work 100 percent, but they get to uh, it's, more, it's not as a weapon, per se, but just as a distraction yeah. mechanism. Like they do know that that is how it, that they can distract them that way. And I mean, so they use it twice in, in each of these episodes. They use the sound well. And I think that's right. that's great. Like they've they have figured out a, something that works. The, the downside, of course, is that. Guinam is tracking them and and that's yeah. like that's like a cool tension in episode six is that when they start making broadcasts Guinam is like oh yeah they're in the broadcast room yeah and they don't know that he's coming for them uh, or for Changsan but probably all of them by association uh, but it's like kind of a fun tension that the show can give to the audience to know that this is going on too right right and I do like the interactions between Guinam and Bersu because you know, Bearsu's like, hey, man, you're kind of hurt. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what to do with, like, like already Guinam. He knows, like, like generally that Guinam is, like, not a, a savory character. He's had dealings with him when he was part of sort of the bullying group. Um, and, you know. Guinam saves, saves his ass, though. He does. He does. Um, and so there is this. Like, but there are these like weird moments where he's like, hey, 
you're hurt. But there's sort of this whole like, hi, your eye is like hanging out of your face kind of moment, like where he doesn't want it's like he doesn't want to call too much attention to the fact that, you know, we know is looking disturbed. Um, but, you know, so there's cool things like that because they're still figuring out those rules. Um, I do think that in terms of the thing I liked about the Namra stuff was they do show her sort of like, hey, Bersu looks really tasty right now. And then she get kind of gets called back. So there's like a moment where she's like saying to him, you look so delicious. <laughs> In her head. That's like an inner monologue. But yeah, we hear it. Uh, uh, does hear her it. face really change or does it just change in her imagination? Because by the end of that episode, she's back no, to normal. I think her eye changed, but then when she's when he sort of says her name, it gets like shifted back. Okay. Um, and we did see that with the original patient right. zero. So yeah. I think that that's probably about right. So I did kind of like that, you know, the way the storytelling is with that. Um, I also really loved um, what the um, the nerdy girl, what is her name again? Yunji, I think. Yunji, um, like the whole scene with her, um, sort of, and and sort of how they're showing the noise um, sensitivity mm. that these, and we hear, we see it with Namra, we see it with uh, Guinam, but we see it a lot with Yunji, where she's um, like hearing goldfish in the room. Uh, of like it's like a teacher's lounge or somebody's office or something like that yeah the and, subtitle says night duty office so i guess somebody sleeps at the school yeah um but she's like and just even her sort of manner when she goes and she's like i'm pretty hungry and she eats the eats the goldfish it's like um, a call back to dawn of the dead 2004 yeah and it's like it, i just thought that that was kind of fun and the and then how sh- her she shifts because of the the night guy or whatever his name is. But I think he's the dean of students, and I think he was just hiding out in there. But uh, yeah, that guy clearly, we didn't have a lot of interactions with him. But what she talks to him about is pretty damning. That he had come to, she had come to him to be like, "Hey, um, you know, my life is a living hell. I'm being bullied," and he's just like, "Don't be so dense." Yeah, he's kind of like, oh, that's just kind of the way it is, offering her no help. Um, I do like how she's just like, all right, I'm like totally a different, I got different priorities now or like, or maybe some of the same priorities, but she's got a lot of power now. So it's even like how she's like wearing her little shirt. It's taking on a very different connotation. It's like, I'm so sexy. And she's wearing her lips, her lip gloss. Like what? I I am kind of curious. What is her next move? Is she, it looks like she's about to leave the school campus. Uh, I think that's in episode seven after she's had her run in with, um, with the Dean and thrown up all of his guts, which was pretty gross. I know that was gross, but I kind of liked it. Cause Uh, like, yeah. So what does that mean? Do they not, she's, she's consumed by hunger. She right. can eat goldfish, okay, it seems like, but she when she tries to eat human, she doesn't it doesn't go down so well. So I'm it's curious not, what that it, means. It's not clear to me if that's something physical or psychological. Like yeah. she did it and then she felt really awful about it. Like she did it as like a just that was her instinct. Um so I guess we'll have to see more of that. I don't know what she's going to do yet either. I kind of thought she was gonna go back to the roof and eat her friend or try to rescue him or something um, because he was so cowardly and didn't come with her. So I thought that, or I thought maybe she's going to try to find the people that were so horrible to her and sort of take her vengeance. It's a little tough to say. I still feel like chill soul, the roof nerd guy made the right call and not going downstairs. Right. But but in her head, that's not. Yeah. But also the show has us now thinking unless he does like some sort of weird 180 in episode eight, uh, because at the end of episode seven, he is screwing over everybody else. And he's justifying it based on a flashback of Yunji saying, I think everybody should die. So even though he knows that there are humans in that stairwell who are trying to get onto the roof with him where the helicopter is for Pete's sake, he's not going to open the door. And he's just not going to volunteer that information. At least he hasn't by the end of the episode. He might. He might in episode. Right. We'll and I've got to be semi kind to him because he doesn't know whether anybody's bitten or what. You know what I mean? Like, I guess yeah. he knows that they're semi OK, but, you know, it's just two at- soldiers up there with him, too. Like, right. it's not like there's a huge rescue party. Right. So um, but we do see that his decision is motivated by, you know, 
what he went through with Yunji and nihilism in general. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, And, you know, I was, I, I did think, um, that some of the things they were doing in these scenes, like I was like, how are they going to maintain this stairwell scene? Because there's so many people coming up. I did like, again, the choreography and the fight scenes and like the big group kind of set pieces are still amazing. And they're, they continue to be amazing. Um, there's also some really good highlights of some of the different zombies um, in the beginning of episode six, um, when all the, the zombies are kind of like running out um, as a distraction, um, you know, to like all running out onto like the quad and whatever, but there's like the lone one that's just kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. They do some really good close-ups of that makeup, which looks so good. Um, yeah, and that, so that is like, a very well made up zombie. But then there are some in the scene oh, where are the scene with the barricade in the music room. I don't know why they filmed it this way, but you can definitely see some of these are like crowd zombies. Oh, where definitely. The extent yeah. of their makeup and, and costume is like their sweater has some holes cut in it and some red is on the white shirt underneath it. But there's nothing else going on there. And so I'm like, I think you should have put your more of your like made up hero zombies in the back of that crowd if you're going to be shooting it from behind. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like, again, they're doing all these scenes with so many people. Right. I like, think it's hard to keep track. Yeah, it was it was hard to keep. It's hard to keep track for the production, I'm sure. And impossible. Like how many, uh, you know, hero zombies or people who are going to spend five hours in the makeup chair can you possibly do in one show? Right. Right. And there's a lot of people in that particular scene, too. So I think, you know, I'll forgive them for some of that oversight. Um, The other thing, though, that I did notice that I didn't like in terms of the makeup department is that like and I noticed it, I, I noticed in the last few episodes, too. But like these kids, like we know they've been out there and just sort of the way they very art, like they've basically sort of like put blotches of blood on their sleeves and it just looks a little too um, painted, like patterned basically. Um, And, you know, it would be streaked and it wouldn't be these like very specific circles. It looks like they use like a makeup sponge or whatever they did to like soak it in blood and just kind of, or like, you know, it, like it probably would have been more effective to throw like w- like water balloons full of stuff. So it was a bit more, uh, a bit less um, like uniform. But they, um, you know, they probably have like five of these outfits for each kid. Right, right. And sure, I'm sure they're going through all of that. So I get it. But it just was one of those things that every once in a while I'm like, oh, and that just stood out. Um, so and it's it's interesting because in other places they're so good about it. Um, so, you know, and, and I it's, but. But I would say overall, they are moving certain things along. We did get to see like several different places in this. Like we get to see what's happening with the assembly woman in the sort of like quarantine camp. We get to see what's happening with our hero cop. Um, They're not making much progress in getting to the school um, and they've picked up yet another child. Yeah. By the end of episode six, all they've done is saved like a four or five year old. Um, And I'm. I question the show for introducing yet another like helpless innocent. Um, like all, all the by the end of episode seven, we're back at the preschool with orange gibberish, and all those children zombies are are not to be seen. Yeah, so like I'm what happened of, to them? Kind of curious. I mean, we haven't really gotten into that set again, so we'll see. Yeah. But uh, I God, you know, there's there's like it's just a question of taste to me on some level to just keep introducing kid characters of that age certainly. Yeah. And, and, I, and the way it was shot, it did look like she wasn't necessarily on set with zombies a lot. No, but, I think they tried to obviously. Uh, yeah, it was a few different cameras. Right. And um, yeah. there was like the scene where she runs out of the alley and they're chasing her. That's she's that's a little girl being chased by grownups dressed in zombie clothes and makeup. Right. Which right. to me right away, I'm just like, that doesn't. That just strikes me as wrong. I don't know. That yeah, might just be my I parenting talking. No, but. I had the same thought and I was like. I was actually thinking, like, did they just like tease her? Like, was there like, like, did they get, did they like basically get familiar with her before they did this so she wasn't scared? And, you know, all the noises are sort of overlaid and maybe instead they're like, you know, not they're like laughing or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hoping. But I thought the same exact thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, this poor kid is going to be like, have have trauma for the rest of her life from these like scenes. Um, 
but no, I had this, I had the exact same thought. And, and I also was this similarly was like, Oh, why are we introducing yet another character like this? Right. Uh, well, um, that does kind of inform uh, the Seoul university guys, eventual betrayal, because when the cop stops to save a third person and this one is orange gibberish the Seoul university cop is just like yeah i'm, I'm done and it just leaves I mean, and we'll see we'll see where it goes from there because that's where the episode seven ends but or close to there i think that's in episode seven um yeah. but we certainly don't see what else happens to the cop uh, no and i don't have much hope for this poor kid the, the baby or the little girl because God, but come on the show cannot <laughs> that would be that would be rough for me um like it's one thing to allude to it or to imply it like in the case of the preschool defined so far it's been implied not like not just implied but shown uh, on some level that all these kids got turned into zombies but they're not they're not like lingering on it and i think by introducing speaking characters and a newborn yeah <laughs> that's a that's I'm a whole worried. different situation i'm worried i let me just say that i'm worried about what is to come for these poor little yeah, children we should um, be and, and, uh, in the in the quarantine camp, uh, Soju, Anjo's dad, makes, I guess it's the only decision he feels like he can make to, to yeah. beat up some of his guards and escape after uh, ingratiating himself with them by saying, hey, I was in your unit. Uh, yep. You know, I was like a master sergeant. Maybe I would have been your boss. Uh, but then beats them up with his uh, his colleague. And this is another area where, at least in these two episodes, I have big questions about how this works later. Uh, so a lot of this episode is him running away from the guards because he doesn't make it very far before they start shooting at him, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, jumping into this lake and swimming underwater for a mile or whatever it is. He's still got I it. I mean, he's still got some chutzpah, this guy, you know? That, that bullet wound is really minor. Uh, so I'm kind of like, I don't know that he would have stopped underwater and turned to look at his side after getting shot while they're still shooting at him, but he did. Uh, but it's in the next episode where there's another scene with the assembly woman and the commander of the martial law command or whatever his name is. And he's just like, yeah, help these people do their jobs. There's no mention of, I understand that you were in the room when some of my soldiers were assaulted and where's the other guy who was left yeah. behind. Yeah. I was waiting for that to be some part of the discussion and it just wasn't. So that was kind of weird. Mainly, he just wants to tell the assemblywoman that her spe- there's no special privileges here, but yet came to talk to her. So I thought that was kind of weird. Um, yeah. Like, like, OK, <laughs> you know, like wink, wink, understood. Right. Yeah. It's just like odd. Um, although then you get the action to get the chopper to Hyosan High School. And, you know, we see a little bit more about how all these people um are you know they may have have children at this school and that's implied um i think the assembly woman i think that she's definitely namra's mom um uh, yeah i mean it feels like that but also she hasn't said it explicitly yet no but she is but talking that- about hyosan high school uh which would make sense if that's where she knew her kid was um but she's not calling it out like my kids are there too she's just talking about all of the children we have right. to save all the children um so that's well but this is in line but this is in line with everything we've seen about her so far she's like you know there's lots of personal things going on for everybody but greater good (laughs) pardon me um but yeah like because i am in this role and i am this assembly woman even though i may have like personal things that are affecting me in the situation i have to do what is right for everybody as much as that might hurt and as much as that might mean I can't say rescue my daughter. Yeah. So that is, I think, what we're going to see at the end. But well, um, what, what did you think in the, the beginning of episode seven? There's a pretty cool opening for this episode with like the military response, also including uh, Jay June, I think is his name, talking to his mom on the phone before he yeah. goes out for the mission, which is quite heartwarming or, you know, heart strings pulling. Uh, and then. Uh, to me, like my big question was, all right, so of all the buildings in downtown Hyosan that they're going to go into, they choose a mall. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Um, also, from a strategic point of view, it doesn't seem like the best thing to uh, to try to, just for so many reasons um, for, you know, in terms of going into like a, a situation where there's like so many potential 
um, infected, but also so many places for them to hide and to ambush you. Like they would um, go into power plants first. Like, right. That to me it, makes that like, for, that's what I mean from a strategic point of view, this yeah. doesn't really make sense to me, but um, you know, I like, and then part of me was like, Oh, were they just trying to, to recover like a, one of the infected to do this vaccine thing, which ultimately is what he becomes is the guinea pig. Um, but, um, I thought that that was a pretty effective, um, sort of like, uh, way to show, um, what's happening in the outside. Also, again, another person that is like, despite the, the danger, is going at this with a sense of honor and like, yeah. oh, this is the stuff that, you know, his mom is very worried. Like, and they they definitely pull at your heartstrings like about his mo- the whole thing to his mom. Yeah, and, and the commander, like, be- just before the commander meets with the assembly woman, he's in, then they have a zombie in the quarantine camp too, which I think is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Uh, like, um, and he's like, you know, let's get his parents permission to, you know, do a vivisect, uh, vivisection yeah, had- on him or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, like that's the right thing to do. And so, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about this martial law commander yet. It'll probably come into focus a little more. We haven't had a lot of scenes with him, but obviously his first act on the show was to cut off all telephones and data, which has only screwed people over. So uh, yeah, I think we're a little bit mixed on it, but I thought those scenes at the beginning of episode seven were super cool because it showed that like this Korean military force is still there. They're super badass. They're they got out of there. Maybe they lost two guys. I think you heard one other guy maybe getting killed but uh they won in the mall like they they came out successful and they saved a bunch of people too who were hiding in one room so that was like a oh okay so maybe if the kids can just hold on a little longer uh maybe this will work out sort of feeling well i also thought it was a good way to show that he and the assembly woman are actually very similar in terms of how they view everything in terms of duty, in terms of who the the people are that they have to protect. And despite the fact that, you know, they both clearly have some personal things going on that they could use their rank or use their influence to affect, they're not doing that. And, you know, they say that, and, and despite the fact that he, he, is being tough with the assembly woman he has listened to her and he is he does send a chopper to the high school and even his uh whoever the guy is beneath him says something about his mother and he's just like you know well we got to do this first or like he doesn't he he's not just acting purely in his own self-interest he's trying to do what's good what's good and right for everybody as painful as that might be and so i think that that's kind of what they're trying to convey this sense of duty over personal allegiances and personal interests. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out with him. I don't think they're making him into like a mustache twirly person. I think they're making him into somebody who's in a position of power who has to make really hard and awful decisions. So yeah. like, I, yeah, I think we're going to find out more about his, his motivations as we go forward. Uh, to me, it was the, you know, cutting off the phones. And then there was a scene of him like smoking outside a, a government building. I'm just like, Oh, that's like, I don't know. Am I supposed to think that he's bad because he's smoking or what am I supposed to take away from this shot? Maybe he's just stressed. Who knows? There's another really kind of cool scene in this episode where we see a little bit more about Gwinom's relationship with spiky haired bully. Uh, Also then what the end of that relationship as it were. Oh, that's right. And that was actually really kind of satisfying, at least for Gwinom it was. But yeah, so Gwinom for some inexplicable reason was below this shorter bully's position in the bully hierarchy. Yeah. How does that make any sense? Uh, well, but- I think it's, I think that the, the spiky hair bully says this stuff to Guinam, like, oh, you're so dumb and stupid. And I think that they're trying to make Guinam out to be just like the muscle, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say, like, as evil as Guinam is, there are like moments where you're like, okay, I, I kind of understand why he did this. And very similar to the prince to the principal, this spiky haired bully is trying to basically get Guinam to do the same thing. Oh, you can go and put yourself in danger to help me. And, you know, Guinam's like, no, that's not going to happen. And I thought that the scene where he, you know, basically has his vengeance on this guy was pretty good and and awful but also pretty good (laughs) so yeah i don't necessarily blame him for taking his vengeance out on this guy and it's you know it helps to underscore the same thing that yunji has done which she pulls a doorknob off of a door like a thick door 
and uh, Guinam snaps spiky hair bully's arm, like mm-hmm. compound fracture just breaks the bone right out of there. So they've got super strength. We also kind of saw that when Guinam was fighting uh, Su Hyuk or Bear Su in the, in the stairwell because he was yep. throwing them around and like, you're not the best fighter anymore. Uh, so not only are these guys able to just walk around zombies unmolested, they also have super strength and they can get thrown out of windows and kind of hop back up in a couple minutes. So, well, I kind of thought that's where they were going when they were trying to get through to the, like the roof door. Like I really thought Namra was going to like, she still could, she maybe could. So maybe that's coming, but like, I kind of thought that's what they were going to do with that. Either that, or like, there's one sign that says the doors will automatically open if there's a fire. So I thought they were going to like, pull the fire alarm. None of those things happened. Um, but what I was going to say about the the whole rooftop scene, I don't know what that thing is that they put over like that tarp, but yeah. I did think that that was kind of a cool idea to keep the, and maybe not a realistic idea. Cause I kind of think they'd burst through that thing no matter what, but um, I thought it was a cool idea to kind of mix things up with the stairwell fighting scenes to like slow down the rest of the zombies and to make it a little more interesting. So I was like, Oh, that's a kind of like a neat idea in terms of like, just choreography, just adding in like another element um, so that it isn't just yet another overrun in the stairwell zombie scene. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think they like did a, they, they employed uh, blinding the zombies a lot in these two episodes too. Like the piano under the piano zombie, they put a sheet over her face and she basically stopped moaning. Yeah. Uh, and in the archery center, they closed the curtains and in the music room, there were curtains in both of these rooms where yeah. there weren't in any others. And the zombies basically just leave. As soon as they can't see the people or hear them, I guess they just kind of they wander off. So that's, you know, between sound and blocking off sight, that's uh, a couple of good tools in the tool chest for these um, for these survivors. And so we'll see how it goes. Of course, we leave this episode with not only is there a helicopter outside, but a couple of soldiers. Yeah. Uh, but Guinam has come to the top of the stairs holding a zombie up with one hand who looks oh, it's kind of so insane. good. It's so good. And, you know, I really love his little costume with the one heart on yeah. it. Um, I think that that's great. Uh, he's terrifying. He does a really good job at playing a good villain in this. I, I just think he's the, and the whoever the girl is that he's holding up is it, like her makeup is great. And she's like doing I mean. <laughs> Like they must have had some assistance because obviously like this was a precarious place for this actor to be in. But mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was like really effective. Um, so I liked I liked that a lot. Yeah. And there's some um, good reaction faces from Bersu and Chong San as they see this guy coming yeah, up. I mean, and they're like, like we've we both killed you. I'm pretty sure at this point. Um, or yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Another uh, detail that kind of started. We started seeing a couple episodes ago, but I forgot to mention it was when the archery bathroom crew go into the nurse's office, they wrap their forearms and, and oh, legs, yeah, that's right. and that's come in handy for them uh, in, in the scenes that we have had with them, even though they didn't make a lot of progress, they got people were trying to bite them, but they have their hands uh, or yep. their arms wrapped in all this gauze so they can't get through. And we also saw the cop wrapping Do something similar. They yeah. Were, yeah. They were wrapping their arms with the chunks and chicken flyers and tape uh, and I don't know that I've seen anybody else rapping yet, but I think, you know, we've seen enough of it to think that this is going to be um, going forward a, a good another good defense mechanism for the. Yeah. Survivors. And then the other the other thing we should mention is that, you know, we've seen these kids now, you know, they saw the parents of the the one student they basically saw her to the, the drone footage die. Um, we've got, you know, a lot of just. They're, they're trying to process the fact that they're probably on their own. So you then see them making the plan to try to get to the roof, although what's next. Um, but, um, yeah. you know, that was that was I, an interesting element of the before the melodrama got too melodramatic was this like, all right, stop Jimin from killing yourself. And then all of us have to kind of like the conversation between Jimin and Anjo is is important to have because yep. you have to process this stuff. And, and Anjo is also just being like, my dad didn't come either. Uh, so there's a chance that he's yep. dead. But of course, in episode seven, we see Soju has now like sewed himself up, mm-hmm. managed to get a shotgun and a backpack full of ammo, I assume, and is like running through the streets of Hyosan, probably coming to the high school ASAP. We'll see how he does. Uh, so yeah. He's on his way. And I, you know, I guess I thought when they were doing these things, and specifically because we see the end with 
Chansen, who still can't let go of the Chansen chicken name. <laughs> um, like I did think that they would be doing like when they started doing these like sort of testimonials and they're sort of it's basically like so they're, you know, kind of a not a last will, but just sort of like putting their little narratives on and all of them do it in a different way. Um, Daisu does his weird song. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Um, but, you know, I thought again, I thought I was like, OK, now we're going to see mom super zombie. <laughs> and we didn't. And then at the end, they kind of like and I was like, no, <laughs> I was yeah. so sad. She's just wandering around in the in the playing field. I'm kind of surprised since they've been overlooking, looking out over the playing field this whole time. And in fact, Namra and Bear Sue spend like a lot of episode seven just staring out the window. Yeah. Nobody was like, hey, that looks like Chiang Sen's mom in her bright orange apron. Chiang Sen. <laughs> it says Chiang Sen has his it. face on it. Yeah. Uh, so that'll I was be waiting. tough. That, I, it will be tough. And I mean, I think that they have to at some point. He's got to see her, right? Like, but yeah. I thought they were going to do that here and they didn't. Um, and then what was the other thing about this episode that I thought? Um, was well it'll come to me at some point but regardless again despite some of the pacing issues and some of the repetition i still think this is like a really fun show um oh i think uh the other thing about the relationship so we've now definitely established namra and bersu as a couple um and now (laughs) now and there's all this like that was one thing that i did find particularly tedious is that the back and forth and the weirdness between bersu and chansen the weirdness between namra and bersu um all that between um anjo and she keeps trying to get them to untie each other and they're like no and she's like oh this is odd. Awkward. This is awkward. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> but um, also that that like p- parting words between Bersu and Changsen, where Bersu's like, "Yeah, by the way, I'm in love with Namra, so good luck and have fun with Anjo and stop treating her like a dude." First of all, that's great advice for Changsen. He does treat her like a dude. He needs and to he kind of needs that advice, but it was a weird exchange. But also, it, nobody has ever indicated that Anjo is even a, into Changsen. Like right. she certainly hasn't. No, uh, he is. We know that, but even though he denies it. But there's nothing like why would I mean, there's moments where, you know, like when he was in the music room and they were talking to him, uh, talking yeah. from the other room, there's moments where she's just like, you know, we we I think there's hints of it um, yeah, and hints. how upset she was that he might um, that he might be in danger. So I think that there's definitely hints that she likes him. But, you know, th- she's clearly still very jealous about bears. <laughs> And Namra, so um, so we got that going on. Um, but um, I don't know. I like I, that was a particular part of it that I was like, um, you know, I, I was just like, OK, let's let's move it along. These are very awkward and strange exchanges. Yeah. But maybe we're just not the demographic that they're looking to to, you know, to to excite because <laughs> we're just like it. But it's all good. Yeah, um, um, and Nyan was also featured in these episodes because she's oh, true. she's locked up in that. the in like the storage room with all the food and drink. There's like boxes of ramen. Yeah, like if there's a moment, Coke. if there's a moment when you can redeem yourself, this is it, man. And well, she she's about to, and then she hears Jimin say, "Don't even bring up Nyan. She's subhuman." I was like, "Damn, Jimin with another <laughs> massive yeah, 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 body yeah. blow." Uh, and so, and then Nyan just like pulls back and, and I mean, Namra even hears her in there, but she's just like, let's just leave this room. It's, I don't like it here. Instead of saying there's somebody clearly in the, in the storage room. Also when Desu was trying to b- bash that door down, uh, you could tell that he actually was very close to breaking down the actual door mm-hmm. like, <laughs> cause it was bending cause Desu is not a small person. So um, I think if he'd hit it like three more times, it would have totally burst open. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but anyway, I mean, I think that's about all I have. Yeah, you, we, you we have don't know what happened to Mrs. Park. Nyan is in the storage room. Yeah, we have no, we have not seen her. Still, I guess. Yeah, Mrs. Park yeah. is just MIA. So we still do have a couple of characters out there who we don't know their fates, but we're running out of those. Like the Dean was one of those characters. Yeah. Uh, like characters he... with speaking lines who we don't know what happened to him. Spiky hair bully. Mm-hmm. They are both off the board. That kind of, unless they're going to introduce new characters who we haven't met, that kind of eliminates a lot of the people that we, like just about everybody, uh, as far as the school goes. Orange Gritty, maybe Orange Gritty is going to have more of a role. 
orange gritty. That's what I call him. The orange gibberish. <laughs> I'm mixing him up with the uh, the Philadelphia mascot, um, who I think is named Gritty. <laughs> but um, anyway, orange gibberish. Maybe he takes on more of a role because we still have to see what happens with him and Supercop. So. Um, you know. Yeah, outside the school, all bets are off. They can introduce new characters all day long, as far as I'm concerned. But in the school, now that we're at like at episode eight, I think it would be odd if they continued to introduce new characters at this point, since it's somewhat a closed environment. Yeah, it is. Um, the only thing I mean, we have the two. I'm assuming that the archery team is all pretty much done for other than the ones oh, that we're seeing maybe. maybe we haven't seen i mean the one thing i thought is that maybe they would reintroduce either in zombie form or otherwise the coach because he was so horrible on that bus yeah um and we don't i don't think we've seen what happened to him right what was he wearing was it a blue tracksuit it was like a tracksuit so i mean i think maybe we'll there will be maybe some uh sort of res- resolution of that um and you know, clearly she's showing that she does have the skill set to survive, at least at this, until this point. So we'll have to see more of that. Um, but again, also pointing out something that I think Kyle would point out, since they didn't get into the supply room, this group has been without water. Our main group has been without water and food for a, way too long. Um, and I thought that they were going to remedy that uh, on some level, and they just haven't. So I think we have to see what happens there. But they would be fainting from like dehydration i think so yeah it would be it would be pretty rough um yeah that storage room is going to get opened they're going to get in there because they're not getting off the, they're not getting out on the roof i guess no. it would, it would I be my they, guess maybe they'll get there but they'll probably get there after the chopper leaves is my guess so. uh, soju uh, nom, like anjo's dad can't show up and they've been rescued already right right, right. There's unless, gotta be. unless that is how it goes and then it's like the most tragic rescue story ever told <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see. Um, but anyway, looking forward to watching the rest and yeah. hopefully the triumphant return of Mr. Kyle Diaz uh, on the next episode. Um, but anything else to add? I think that's about it. Yeah, it's it is an enjoyable show. I think these two episodes did feel a little bit pacey, but uh, I'm definitely eager to watch. You know, there's four more to go, and I'm eager to watch all of them. Yep, agreed. All right. So if you have any uh, thoughts about uh, these episodes or the show in general, um, the series in general, feel free to email us at reanimatedpodcast.gmail.com. You can tweet at us, reanimatedpcast, or you can leave a note on the website, uh, reanimatedpodcast.com. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening and toodaloo. Ciao. And I'm going to do Kyle's sign off that he always forgets, but see you on the flip side.